So thank you for coming. We're continuing on with our uh, series on the parables, I hope. At least I hope the overheads... There we go. Okay, good. We're in business. Today's parable, uh, the Pharisee and the publican, or the tax collector. Um, when we say publican, uh, that's not short for Republican, or it's not jive. It's, so there's no political message here today. This is just the parable that Jesus gave. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you some uh, background. Uh, in your bulletin, you have some fill-in-the-blanks. So I'll try to uh, I'll point those out to you, but I think it's pretty self-evident. And uh, we can get started here. Uh, the f- definition of a parable is it's a figure of speech in which a spiritual truth is illustrated by an analogy drawn from everyday experiences. In today's parable, uh, there's two guys who went up to the temple to pray. But let me give you a little bit of background, just where this parable uh, took place. Uh, Jesus was speaking this parable to the Pharisees, uh, to his disciples, and also to a crowd uh, in general. Uh, We don't know exactly where the location of this was, but uh, if you read the context in several of the chapters before, it appears that he was up in the northern part of Israel. He was heading on his way down to Jerusalem. And uh, if you read the following chapters, Luke 19, 20, and so on, uh, he's heading into Jerusalem for the Passion Week. So this parable is, was provided sometime near the end of Jesus' ministry. So the two characters here are the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Let me just tell you a little bit about them. Uh, the Pharisee, they were the most influential of the Jewish sects. If you've read the New Testament, read the Gospels, you've probably heard about the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Herodians and the scribes. They all had their own little different ideology, but the Pharisees were the most influential. They were also the most pious of the people of the uh, Jewish society. And the name of the Pharisee, or the name Pharisee or separatist was probably given to them by their enemies because they tended to be such hardliners. They were nonconformists. They wouldn't compromise. They held to what, rigidly held to what they believed and there was no backing down. Also, the term Pharisee may have been a term of scorn as uh, um, because the Pharisees were so strict in their adherence to the letter of the law that it created a division between them and their fellow Jews as well as uh, non-Jews, the Gentiles. But in general, the Pharisees were thought to be the, the righteous or the spiritual people of the day. And if anybody had a connection and knew how to get close to God, they thought it was these people. Um, but also they were admired as spiritual role models, sort of, but they were also feared and f- they caused a lot of frustration because they were always casting judgment and looking down their noses at people. So those, those are the Pharisees. The tax collectors, these, as the name implies, or the publicans, were uh, people who, they were Jews who worked for the Romans to collect taxes. And they made their money by charging people excessive taxes, so they were known for extortion. So essentially what they were doing was they were uh, thieves that were stealing by overcharging their fellow citizens uh, uh, more taxes than was required. And because they were working for the Romans, they were considered as traitors. So overall, the tax gatherers, the tax collectors, were the most despicable people of their day. So imagine being back then, people calling you names, people avoiding you, uh, giving you dirty looks. That was the, who, uh, the life of a tax collector. So what I wanted to do was I'm going to go through on, on your bulletin. You have some like a column and fill in the blanks kind of thing. So you can pretend you're in school and uh, fill in the blanks. Or if you want to put your grocery list down there, go ahead. Um, so I'm just going to go a little 
uh, give it some, uh, some uh, quality and then how the Pharisee and the tax collector uh, uh, compared. And the first one was their, their status in society. The Jews, or the, excuse me, the Pharisees were highly respected generally, and the tax collectors were at the bottom rung. They were despised. When they went into the temple, the position or location they had was, we're not told exactly where the Pharisee was, but uh, the implication is that the, the uh, tax collector was kind of in the back, off to the side, in the shadows, kind of like the where Chris is now, he's in the back, and uh, Janus would be in a good position to be a good Pharisee. So uh, the, the, the Pharisee was front and center, on, out for the whole world to see, and the tax collector was kind of off to the side, he was hiding. In terms of their posture of prayer, uh, people who study history and culture say that a typical position for prayer in those days was to stand looking up with your hands raised, and that would have been what the Pharisee was doing. And the tax collector, his head was hung, he wouldn't look up, and he was beating his chest with his fist, and that's a symbol of great uh, mourning or grief, it's, it's a sign of repentance. So that's, that's the, what was going on with the postures of the two men. The deeds or uh, accomplishments that they did, uh, the Pharisee listed his. He mentioned tithing or fasting and tithing. Uh, in those days, the Pharisees would fast twice a week. I think it was Monday and Thursday. And not only did they abstain from food on those days, they also, as a sign of super piety, uh, abstained from water. In tithing, uh, even though the word tithe means 10%, if you look back in the Mosaic Law, that there's actually two tithes. There was a 20% due. And the Pharisees, in order so no one could accuse them of violating the law, they tithed more than 20%. So I'm sure every pastor in every church always wishes that their members would find that inner Pharisee and, you know, in the offering and, and, and give more. But... But the Pharisees typically, anything they did, they took it to an extreme. They took it to the nth degree. And as far as deeds and accomplishments, the tax collector, he listed none. And as far as ranking or comparing themselves with other people, the Pharisee was making it known that he was superior to others. He said he thanked, he thanked God that he was not like the unjust, the swindlers, the adulterers, and heaven forbid this tax collector. The tax collector, on the other hand, he didn't compare himself to anybody. He just owned up that he was a sinner. So the conclusion of this parable, we might look at it today from our 20th century polite society, and, and it's generally given that people who promote themselves and put a lot of attention on themselves is, is not very favorable. But back in those days, the Jewish people thought it was um, pious or part of the religious practice to thank God for their righteousness. So the people who first heard this from Jesus, they didn't think that the Pharisee was boasting. They just thought he was being thankful. Now, the Pharisees, they thought they were doing God a favor. They thought that God would be honored by someone like themselves coming to worship God. So they had this really crazy mindset. And also people that heard this uh, parable, uh, they would have thought that the tax collector's prayer, he only said seven words, God be merciful to me, the sinner, they would have considered that prayer to be invalid and just completely, prayer would have been completely uh, invalid. So what the people were expecting was Jesus to say something positive about the Pharisee, but instead, the conclusion that he had was that the Pharisee was not justified before God. 
and the tax collector was justified. How do we know this? Um, Luke 18, 14, Jesus says, I tell you that, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So that was the conclusion that Jesus had. So we had fortunate that we, when we read this parable, he tells us what the, what the uh, point is. And to give you a little bit more insight into Jesus and the Pharisees, I want to, uh, Chris to uh, put on a, a video. And it kind of points out the different uh, aspects of Jesus dealing with the Pharisees. He was constantly battling with these guys. There was a, a sense of... Um, animosity that, that started at the beginning of his ministry. They were always picking on Jesus for uh, not honoring the Sabbath, and any little thing they could, they could pick on. So if uh, you guys could uh, show the video, uh, here we go. And what's your story? That you can give sight to the blind. I came into this world to give sight to those who cannot see. and to take away sight from those who can. What do you mean by that? That we who are righteous are blind? If you were blind, you would be without sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. That's true! Hypocrites all! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men! You do not go in yourselves, nor do you let others enter! Blind guides! You strain at a gnat and swallow a camel! You bow before the letter of the law and violate the heart of the law! Justice! Mercy! Good faith! You are like whited sepulchres, all clean and fair without, but within, full of dead men's bones and all corruption. You see these stones, do you not? I tell you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Yours? is a house of desolation, the home of the lizard and the spider. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can any of you escape damnation? You shall not see me here again, not until you learn to cry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For I and my father are one and the same. He is a blasphemer. This is the man. Whitehead, sepulchers. You have forsaken the Lord. And now you despise the Holy One of Israel. You don't speak for the people of Israel. Listen to the teachings of our God. Remember the 
When you think of Jesus, you think of typically a nice, calm individual, but uh, somehow these Pharisees got under his skin, and we know from the Bible that uh, Jesus didn't sin, so he was demonstrating righteous anger. I'm not exactly sure. I think that that's just uh, Hollywood took some liberty in combining several different pieces of Scripture, and I think that that's just largely from Matthew 23. And if you read Matthew 23, the whole chapter, Jesus is just busting on the Pharisees. He, uh, he calls them hypocrites like six times. And a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another, someone who's insincere. But the term hypocrite actually comes from the, the world of theater. And it was where, back in those days, the actors would wear a mask. So essentially, by calling them hypocrites, he was calling them actors. They weren't true. They weren't genuine. He called them blind guides. You heard that. He called them fools, serpents, brood of vipers. He accused them of preventing people from entering the kingdom of heaven. They, he, they stole from widows, and they were more concerned about appearances over substance. And you heard the phrase, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And um, what they're referring to there, what Jesus was referring to, it was, a, it was an exaggeration, it was a hyperbole, is uh, if they were drinking something and there was an insect that, that fell in the drink and died, it was, it would, if, if the Pharisees touched anything that was dead, it would make them ceremonially unclean. So what, they had this law or rule that if anything bigger than a fly, they had to scoop out before it died. So when he said strain out a gnat, he was actually referring to something that you could almost not even see. So the Pharisees were so worried about scooping that little gnat out of their, their drink so they could be clean that they overlooked the fact that they had a camel that was in their cup and they were swallowing the camel. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous illustration, but his point was that the Pharisees, they spent so much time focusing on the smallest details of the law that they forgot the main points of justice for all, mercy for those in need, and faithfulness and devotion to God. It was this loyalty to the truth that produced this pride and this hypocrisy in the Pharisees, and that's what Jesus was getting at, was that they had a wrong, um, they had a wrong view of the truth. So what I now, in your bulletin, is go over some principles from this passage. And the, the first one is be humble before God. Be humble before God. Now, being humble does not mean that you have a low opinion of yourself. Being humble means you have no opinion of yourself. And let me explain that a little bit. An opinion is based on a guess. It's kind of a feeling. It's, uh, it's nothing founded. So if you think of yourself higher or lower, you could be inaccurate. Having no opinion of yourself is you are being as honest as you possibly can about who you are as a person and what you are. And that's exactly what the tax collector did. When he prayed, he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, it's, it's interesting. I, I've gotten to know a lot of you and, and correspond with you and talk with you, especially those whose English is their second language. And I want you to look at the word, the. Notice that it does not say, be merciful to me, a sinner. In English, and as well as in Greek, if you use the definite article, the, you're pointing out something particular or specific or um, unique about something, okay? 
if he would have said, be merciful to me, a sinner, a sinner, it would mean, it would imply that he was just one of many sinners or he was in a group of sinners. But when he says, be merciful to me, the sinner, he's calling special attention to himself and that the characteristic of sin resides in him. He was owning his sin by using this, this word, be merciful to me, the sinner. So he was humbly and accurately assessing his condition. And that's what we need to do. We need to humbly and accurately assess our conditions in order to restore our relationship with God. As believers, we're going to sin, and all we need to do is what 1 John 1.9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, and the word confess means to agree with or to acknowledge that, yeah, what we are doing is wrong, it's displeasing to God, it falls short of a standard. And all we need to do is confess our sin, and he is faithful and just and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to be humble in order to acknowledge who we are before God. Now, another reason to be humble is so that you're not going to be prideful. It says in James, it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I just want to point out the word opposed. It doesn't mean, you know, God thinks negatively of you, but God is in your face. It is conflict. It is, it is contention. God will not tolerate pride. He, will, he has a way of humbling us. In the world, I don't know, my life has enough difficulties. I don't need to do anything more to have God, you know, uh, conflicting with me. But another point of this passage that points out uh, why we need to be humble is there's a repeated word in this passage, and it's the single letter word, I. The Pharisee, when he prayed, he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I, 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 you know, you don't like to hang around people that, that promote themselves. Well, it's interesting, there's five eyes in close proximity here, and there's another passage of scripture in which there are five eyes in close proximity. But I said, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. There's very few passages in the Bible that speak about Satan, and this is one that the prophet Isaiah recorded. Satan's sin was pride. He wanted to be equal to God. And so what Jesus is doing was essentially comparing the pride of the Pharisee to the pride of Satan, or associating the pride. The pridefulness is, is a character, it's a quality, not of God, but it's of Satan. So none of us want to be associated with Satan, so we need to be humble with, before God. The next principle is we need to know who God is. We need to know who God is. Is he a cosmic scorekeeper one that owes you a favor? The Pharisee thought that God operated on a merit system, and thus he could be put into his debt. I mean, think about that. He had to remind God, I tithe, I fast. He was expecting God to reward him, and, and like I said, put God into his debt. And to think about it, the God who hung the stars in space and makes the universe behave as it does and who puts air in your lungs and food in your stomach and get, allows you to live, what a ridiculous thought that you can put God into your debt. 
The tax collector, on the other hand, he knew that God was merciful and gracious and kind and trustworthy. And the point you can maybe write down here is your view of God will determine how you approach him. Your view of God will determine how you approach him. So if sometimes if you have nothing to do, if you think of God, you know, just jot down a couple things that come to mind. And then think about how you approach him. Do you have the right idea, the right concept of who God is? The third principle is that we are to trust in God's provision. Now, Jesus told us what the conclusion of what, what this parable is about, but he didn't tell us why. But the author of this parable, uh, or of, the, of this gospel, Luke, did. And right before Carl started reading, uh, Luke told us what or why Jesus told us this parable. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. And that's the key point. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Now, the tax collector, he knew that he had nothing to offer God. So in his little seven-word prayer, he says, God, be merciful to me. And the word be merciful, or you could actually translate that as God be satisfied. And it's from a word that means to appease, and it's where we get the theological term propitiation. You've heard of justification, sanctification, glorification. Well, another buzzword in Christianity is propitiation. And propitiation means to appease, or in this case, to appease uh, the wrath of God. The Pharisee, or excuse me, the tax collector knew there was nothing he could do, and he just begged for mercy. And there's a a story that I like to read to you that kind of encapsulates uh, the whole concept of uh, propitiation. And uh, years ago, uh, a father and his daughter were walking through the vast Canadian prairie, uh, the grasslands. And in the distance, they saw a prairie fire. Eventually, they realized that it would engulf them. They couldn't outrun it. They couldn't get around it. The father knew there was only one way of escape. They would quickly begin a fire right where they were and burn a, a large patch of grass. When the huge... Like, let me give you the illustration. There you go. Imagine that's coming at you. When the huge fire drew near, they would stand on the section that was already burned. And when the fire actually did approach them, the girl was terrified by the raging flames. But her father assured her and said, the flames can't get to us. We are standing where the fire has already been. And the story goes on and asks, are you afraid of God's judgment? Christ is our propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. If you've trusted in Christ as Savior, you can never come under his wrath. When we depend upon him, we are secure. We are where the wrath of God has already been. The application, uh, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think it's a blank in your uh, uh, bulletin. Uh, are you a Pharisee or are you a tax collector? Are you a Pharisee or are you a tax collector?
There's two types of Pharisees. There's the Pharisee that Jesus described in this passage, someone who was trying to earn his way to heaven, earn God's merit, trying to earn his right standing with God. And that will never work. It's only through Jesus that we can have a right standing with, with God. And the other Pharisee is actually uh, people who have trusted in Jesus, but they continue to live their lives by a checklist. In other words, they think that even though they know they're saved, that in order to stay in God's favor, they need to do good deeds. They need to go to church, they need to read the Bible, they need to pray, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And you can become very dry, uh, very miserable, very joyless in your life. If you're doing that, if you're, you can be doing all the right things but for all the wrong reasons, and I know that I did that for many years. My life was miserable. I was trying hard to, to be what a good Christian should be. And I was trying to live the Christian life apart from Jesus. And so my burdens became very, very heavy. And it took a long time before I finally realized that I'm not in this alone. Jesus is here to help me. And the scary part about being a Pharisee is that many times you don't realize that you're doing, what you're doing is wrong. You're so entrenched in trying to do the right things and the good things that you just lose track of the big picture. And you need to step back. And, and unless you do, you're going to be like this skeleton in this beautiful robe. You may be great on the outside. You may sound great. You may look great. But on the inside, you're dry. You're dead. So there's two types of Pharisees. And then there's the, the tax collector. You know, maybe you've never trusted Jesus, but you realize that, you know, something's not right in your life. God is missing. It's just an invitation. Come to him. You know, give him your burdens. He will abide in you. He will love you. He will accept you as you are. I just want to end on a positive note and say that Jesus loves both Pharisees and tax collectors. Just as a way of reminder, the most radical of Pharisees was a guy named Saul that had an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Saul became what we call, who we know has ever done uh, since Christ walked the earth. Jesus also loves tax collectors. He recruited a young man named Levi, who we know as Matthew, who wrote the book that bears his name that has been read by billions throughout the centuries. So whether you're a tax collector or a Pharisee, I just want to encourage you, please come to Jesus. Give your burdens to him. Rely on him. Trust in him. Trust in his provision. Let me pray. Generally, Father, we come before you and we thank you.